Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorkin, and with me, as always, is a man who is the third most dangerous game. <laughs> I, I am the Adam Glass, and uh, okay, I know what number one is. Uh, I've got a I pretty good handle on what number space two is. Gorillas. So, uh, third most dangerous game then, and what I am, I imagine to be uh, orbital jellyfish bombings where okay so where we, i'm I'm confused because you're the third most dangerous game yeah yeah so but like number one was space gorillas number two was orbital jellyfish okay okay then i i uh, non-metaphorically i am just number three i'm the most yeah, dangerous no, game. yeah exactly okay. like yeah, i mean space. presumably that is a ranked list and we just don't know the rest of the list right, right? right. when somebody says the most dangerous game presumably there's number two i just don't know what number two is Right. Um, whereas I'm going to assume that Adam glasses are somewhere a little bit further down than man. Yeah. Um, probably actually it's not Adam glasses as much as it is, uh, white middle aged podcasters, <laughs> uh, it's probably not, not ranking up at number one. Cause honestly speaking, you and I together, I, in most dangerous game scenario, I'm probably not even getting out of the starting gate. Yeah. Yeah. Neither before of us I'm murdered. I mean, right. honestly, I am going to be meat very quickly. Just going to sit down and... Yeah, I mean, probably that's going to be my answer. You're going to hunt Take eight, what nine. I take. I, I, and presumably at some point I will just get very, very spiteful and just be like, well, I'm going to make sure you don't enjoy this. And just like lay down on the floor. Oh, you thought you'd hunt me for sport. Well, yeah, I will what? just remove the happening. sport aspect of it. Yeah, and... the amount I do not care about you killing me is very high. So um, I'm going to lay down here. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. If you want to support us, keep us going, and head over there for just a dollar a month, our lowest tier, you can uh, get a bonus episode every month. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Uh, As of this recording. One that I'll apparently forget at some point. Yeah, you do that a lot. As of this recording, the most recent episode to go up was for October and was. Uh, Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah. That was a good uh, one. It was a good one. Uh, and the- thematically appropriate to our next two films as well, yeah. actually. Um, uh, yeah, sadly. Um, yeah, it's a lot easier to talk about uh, Japanese anti-war films when they're metaphorical giant monsters and not... not just, just the thing, just the bad not thing. Not just the yeah. bad thing. Ugh. Uh, but more more on that in a few minutes. Uh, Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion, like I said, for just a dollar a month. You get a bonus episode. It's always a non-Criterion film. Uh, and for that dollar, you do, of course, get access to the entire back catalog of things over there. Um, we have a lot of fun over there. We watch a real inconsistent uh, quality list of movies. How we do? Um, We're good at it. So we have, for instance, seen GMK, as I mentioned. We've watched uh, Failsafe, which was just announced as being in the Criterion Collection. We've watched other movies that should be in the Criterion Collection, like The Americanization of Emily, or Dog Day Afternoon, or uh, 
Will Ferrell's kicking and screaming. Uh, and then we watched some really <laughs> You're terrible movies. You're an asshole, movies. Adam. Uh, <laughs> uh, I Will mean, Ferrell's kicking suppose, and screaming. You know, there's a universe where Criterion's like, we just need to show you the worst film that's ever been made. Just so you guys have an un, you know a base level for work, <laughs> the nega nega criterion, right? But like you know, uh, so you know, because you know you have to have a zero point and a and a hundred, yeah. right? Like for a scale to work, right? So we're going to show you the worst film that's ever been made. Here it is. Uh, I just, now work from that. I think Criterion should should put out the quality opposite. Of whatever film they put out, so that uh, spine number one okay. uh, is you know, what's spine number one? I can't remember. It's the the Jean it's, Renoir anti-war yeah, it's, film. Uh, um, I want to say All Quiet on the Western Front, and I know that's no, it's not, not right. that. It's not that. I can't. Remember I know, but just um, uh, anyway. Uh, but then spine negative one would be uh, maybe Monster Squad. Uh, <laughs> right. Okay. And then you know. Something like last week, uh, Spine 7, uh, no, it wasn't, we're not nearly that high, 375, I think. Grand is, Illusion, uh, why am I so dumb? Yes, the Grand Illusion. Something like last week's episode, or, or not last week's episode, but a, few, a couple weeks ago, we did uh, The Bicycle Thieves, uh, one of the, objectively one of the, the greatest films, period. Uh, and it's like Spine 375, so Spine negative 375 would be kicking and screaming. and Right, okay. Yeah. Just keep them in equal quality balance by by whatever nebulous uh, understanding. Now it would be hard because you know early on we have Armageddon and the negative Armageddon is actually good movie. So I don't know what you'd put out. <laughs> right, it would be so the like anomaly. It would right. be the anomaly in the in the nega Criterion collection. It'd be like I don't know. Well, you know, but like um, Armageddon's bad, but it's not like earth-shatteringly bad so it'll right, be something right. that's kind of mildly good yeah something slightly above average yeah i mean i we're probably gonna have to cut this out of the podcast but it's probably um now you see me or something like that yeah now you see me could be the negative armageddon and i think that's fine it's like it's not it's better than average but it's not yeah. like unless you're really really into it it's not the greatest film of all listen, time. listen you can be really into it i i this is true. You absolutely can be it. We are our like dear friend. A very bad film, way too much. Right. Our dear friend, Stephen Goldmeyer, who really enjoys Now You See Me and was on a bonus episode at patreon.com slash lost in criteria for Now You See Me. Uh, I think he still recognizes that it is not like objective. Yeah, no, a he, great that was movie. part of the conversation. I, he, there, there's, he's got a lot to it love just, in it, and the things he pointed out are really movie. good things about it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's not going to try to. Tell you it should have worn, you know, a, an Oscar or some right, shit like that, right. uh, for sure. But yeah. Uh, anyway. Alternatively, though, it should have won an Oscar because the Oscars are horseshit. So whatever. Yeah. Of course, I also think we'd we'd pretty easily get into uh, some bad territory, like our October bonus, which ended up being GMK. But if it was the negative version of the Paul Robeson box set, yeah. Uh, we'd end up what birth of the nation, I guess maybe birth of a nation. Um, there's multiple like even more upsetting uh, sort yeah. of pro colonial movies out there. I suppose yeah. Uh, you know you get you get the ones that like especially British er- you know certain eras of British film where like I mean Robeson's the one film is already basically that anyway, but there are more <laughs> right. extremely bad versions of that right um, out there. 
Yeah, Sanders of the River is already the negative criterion of yeah Jericho, version so. of that. Yeah, so well, I mean, but that if we chose that one, then you could make a, yeah. you could pick out a pretty decent uh, anti-colonialism film. Ah, could you a lot to work with? I think I think I think you're underestimating how, you might be right. how easy this would be, be right. to work with. Anyway. Uh, for now, though, patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion, we will continue to do a monthly bonus episode. For just a dollar a month, you get access to that. You get to vote on what movie we're going to watch, uh, and you get uh, the whole back catalog. So it's, I think it's a pretty good deal, you know, if you enjoy us. And, you know, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> Way to sell it, Pat. Good job. Yeah, I, I just, I'm hoping, like, I, I'm trying to imagine a universe where that, that's a useful phrase to say. <laughs> doesn't work super great. Ah. For a little extra over there, $5 a month, uh, we'd like to thank those supporters on air. And thank you very much to Adam Speakerman for your continued $5 support. Uh, a little above that, we do something that I think is really, really special. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. Uh, and then I get it printed up on a postcard and write a little thank you note to our $10 and above supporters. Uh, also, like to thank those guys on air. So, thank you to Jason Westhaver and Michael McGrath for your continued ten dollars you. and above support. Uh, Let, let's be honest here. I'm on a bit of a roll when it comes to the postcards right now. <laughs> I'm not afraid to say it. The October the postcard that Pat insane. produced. The October one that Pat produced is certifiably the best piece of art he has ever made in his life. This is true. It is amazing, and I love it. Uh, the November one that Pat produced <laughs> is a fever dream. It's a hellscape. Form. Yeah, and, yep. I'm very proud of it, honestly. Uh, uh, things went way off the rails on that one. Like I had an idea, and this is tangentially related to the idea, but only barely. Oh man! But it was, boy, was it fun to make. Oh, yeah. sure it was. Well, I'm glad that you had fun making it. I hate looking at it. <laughs> I want to get it framed and put it on my wall, honestly. <laughs> I want to create a unit. I want to create an active like a thing. I was thinking about is uh, you know we have uh, sexual harassment seminars at work sometimes, right? <laughs> okay. And I was thinking about because well, like sexual harassment, one of the one of the categories of it is uh, creating a hostile work environment with like you know uh, displayed imagery and things like that, right? Um, but you know a thing that doesn't come up in our our things is the fact that I could presumably create a hostile work environment without any sexual innuendo whatsoever. Basically, just by you know displaying my own art, <laughs> it's just a thing to think about. That I feel like a category is missing from sort of the harassment uh, categories, in that like you know stuff that Pat produces is yeah. is, is obviously harassment, um, just you know not one that's recognized. Uh, so I'm going to start you know and to press that issue, I'm going to start framing my artwork very large on the walls of my office. And when people walk in, they'll feel very uncomfortable, but will lack the vocabulary to codify that discomfort. <laughs> it's your job as a teacher to give them that vocabulary. Right. Well, we need we need to create new ways of thinking and understanding the world. And one of those is Pat's art makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> and I feel like my life is maybe in danger when I'm in there. Absolutely. But I can't actually explain why because it doesn't depict anything dangerous, doesn't depict anything um, <laughs> sexual or violent. Just it's incredibly just off-putting. Deeply, deeply upsetting, yeah. yeah. Just like lizard brain upsetting. Yeah, yeah, like some part of your brain just can't, looks at it and you're like, I need to get out of here now. Yeah, <laughs> triggers the fight or flight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
so uh, a ringing endorsement for November's postcard. Um, it's too late anyway. You can't have it. Once again, patreon.com slash lost in criterion if you want uh, to support us on any of those levels. And we greatly appreciate it if you do. Greatly appreciate you listening nonetheless, uh, whether or not you're giving us money. But, you know, we appreciate you a little more if you give us money, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, we appreciate you maybe, what was it, 30% more? Yeah, 50%. yeah, I'm not, about I'm not sure. It's hard to codify that. This week we're kicking off a pair of films by Konichikawa. We've seen one movie from him before. Uh, it was the to- Tokyo Olympiad. Yeah, it's such a good movie. 1964, which is a really great movie. It was a movie that made a lot of people very angry when yeah. he turned it in. <laughs> because so good, the uh, the Olympic Committee wanted something like nationalistic and uh-huh. uh, not something that focused on international speedwalkers' butts quite so much. <laughs> Or people stretching before they do the shot put. I have a question, though, for you. What on earth would make them think that this man was going to produce that thing? I don't know. Like, Especially I mean, in 64, right? Yeah, I mean, like, why would you look at this man and be like, and what he's done so far and be like, I think we could trust him to make a decent, calm, nationalistic yeah. film that'll he's, show the, the, beauty, right, the natural beauty right. of Japan. Like, like no matter, no matter what window of his career you pick what do yeah, you think he's going to produce yeah, i don't he know why like, they did that it's he started his baffling. career as an animator got into making like studio comedies was a studio workhorse period but also made the two most incredibly bleak anti-war films yeah i mean basically defined the anti-war film genre in japan like yeah. less than 10 years before the making of the tokyo olympiad it's yeah. baffling like somebody was smoking something. I was like, "Yeah, look at this guy. I like his movies." Well, what? And then like some other guys, like, "What did he do?" And, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're great. You don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But for instance, this week's movie came out less than five years before the Olympics. Yes. Yep. Fires on the Plane from 1959. Uh, it is an adaptation of a novel called Nobi. Uh, published in 1951 uh, by um, Shohai Uka. I'm not even going to try. I don't. I don't have the Wikipedia page o. open. I know that's not right. It's O. Actually, it's Oka. Oka. Yeah. Yeah. Like double O's in Japanese are. I figure U was was a Japanese syllable, but I wasn't sure, and I went with it. Oka. Yeah. The the screenplay here is actually written by Narawada, who is. Ishikawa's wife. Uh, she wrote the screenplay for a lot of his work and yeah. also uh, was in the editing room for both this movie and the next movie. Uh, and they were the only two people in the editing room. Uh, and I believe I believe it was particularly with uh, with Fires on the Plane. Um, where one of the one of the actors said that uh, they'd go into the editing room for hours and then come back and have to do reshoots because she had uh, guided Konnichiwa Unkawa uh, in a different direction than he had actually right. shot anything. Well, yeah, I mean, um, and, and it, yeah, I mean, he clear, she clearly has a really strong hand in his films, right. and and obviously makes them good, right? Like, I mean, right, right, right. Obviously, makes them plays a better. big part in making them as yeah. good as they are. He owes her a lot. Uh, 
Um, this is a movie that when it came out, uh, it did not get good reviews. <laughs> yeah, that's not shocking. Not shocking at all. Um, within Japan, I'm not really sure. I feel like I feel like it was received in Japan fairly well. Um, but uh, in yeah, America, the, unfortunately, the Japanese Wikipedia page doesn't have any like yeah. box office numbers or anything yeah. like that. I don't have any information. So far, I haven't found anything that, that – yeah, I don't have any yeah. – unfortunately, it just doesn't have that information on here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bosley Crowther's New York Times uh, review of it, uh, he calls it grisly and putrid and ghastly and a credit to the director uh, that it's obviously purposefully so. Uh, right, yeah. But he yeah. ends his review <laughs> – saying that the only audience in the U.S. who might enjoy the film were those with bitter memories toward the Japanese held over from World War II, who apparently would enjoy watching Japanese soldiers suffer immensely. Well, I mean, I think that, you know what that sounds like to me, honestly, though? It sounds like to me that the person who wrote that was suffering in many ways from the same thing we've talked about recently a lot, which is, Amer uh, who who wrote that again? It was a uh, was it uh, American or? Crowther, yeah, American yeah. Bosley Crowther. Uh, well, writing for an especially American paper, I especially Americans American. just didn't understand the war, yeah, the way Japanese people did at all, right? right? Oh, and then right. there's obvious reasons for that, but like didn't contextualize it at all, other than wow, look at us, we were awesome heroes. Look at yeah. all the great stuff we did, and that that you know we've seen the sort of knock on legacy of that you know, for the last 60 years, right, of just we're the big damn heroes. We always right. are. We're never not going to be the big damn heroes, despite the fact that, you know, it's been disaster after after disaster since then. Um, it's just the way we understand it. So, like, un- watching a film that is just blatantly anti-war, especially to certain generations of people in America, just doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't, doesn't compute, right? Now, that has changed somewhat, right? There have been American anti-war films since then because of, as the previous stated, just disaster after disaster since then. Yeah. Uh, but not not with regards to World War II, generally speaking, right? We don't we don't make films that that see World War II from an American perspective as a travesty, right? Like as a as a as a monstrosity because we can't we're not allowed to do that. Uh, right. Um, so one of the bonus features on this is a video, uh, interview with, uh, Japanese film historian Donald Ritchie. Yeah, I didn't um, watch that one. I only watched the Ichikawa interview, but, uh, Ritchie, uh, Ritchie has an interesting thing where, uh, he talks, he talks about the film as being like a documentary in that the film has no overt agenda. It's not necessarily making a case for against war it's just describing the state of Um, of war here and i think that's that's a misunderstanding it's in describing the state it is not apolitical right and that's i think richie right richie overplays to say there's a choice about what parts of that you want to show right like there are ways to make purely documentary 
films about war that make it not seem like this, right? Right. right. Where you don't. And you're not editing, but the what you choose to show matters. Right. right. So he compares it, uh, contrasts it rather against something like, say, Saving Private Ryan, which is still a very gory war film, but its characters justify why they're there. You know, fighting for country or for mom or whatever. Apple pie. Apple pie. That always there. seems to make the most sense to me. Yeah. And that's, uh, right, fighting a war for apple pie because that's what those <laughs> I Japanese would. want I to personally, destroy. It's, it's, the, it's one of the only things on my list of things that I would kill for. <laughs> apple pie. Yeah. Um, but I think Richie does does have a point there in that no no character in this movie tries to justify the war. No, yeah. Or justify their continued fighting in the war. Like, we get a little bit of that with, with the next film. But in this one, right. there's nothing. It right. is Right, and then the, keep in mind, with the next one, we'll get into this, that person yeah. is clearly insane. Right, like, right, right. That's a clearly an insane position to take, right? And right. we as an audience recognize that because that person is clearly a bad man. Right. Um, so, but, so I think what Richie means when he sort of describes – he never says apolitical, but when he describes this as a sort of apolitical war movie, uh, I think what he means is there's no character like that. That would make it right, clearly yeah, anti-war. Right, yeah, and I and I do understand that, and that it is a yeah. it is a good point. That, and but that I, to my mind, that makes it all the more powerful, right? Like you're right. not you're not you don't need to parody this thing because this thing is madness, right? Like we, you know, we, you don't you don't have to make something more intense than the abyss. You can just right. show the abyss because it's as bad as it's going to get. Uh, and, and showing this movie is showing a realistic depiction of war should be an anti-war film, which is yeah, one reason. Yeah, one reason I think Saving Private Ryan fails as a movie in that it it wants to be a realistic depiction of war while also being a uh, gung ho. We did it before; we can do it again. Coming out during the Iraq invasion. Uh, yeah, is that timing right? Maybe it was. I I don't know, but like America. Okay, let's be clear here. I mean, let's right. America's real, always real had a here. war. <laughs> We've been on a war footing. It was ninety sixty it's, it's fucking three years before the Iraq invasion. Like it but... doesn't even matter anymore. Like yeah. we don't have to have a time frame for it because we've never ever in our lifetime right. been off of that footing. Like yeah. it just has never happened. Right. Uh, we've already always been primed for the next thing. Um, you know, so it, it, you know, Saving Private Ryan was, you know, I watched it when I was younger because, like, you know, what, you know, I was, whatever, I forget how, what year that came out, but I was the was right age it, for that yes. to be like, yes, this is awesome. And then I, it slowly sort of wore off on me. Not even slowly. It got, that movie got old real quick. I'm sure. Because, um, like, you know, the things that seem intense and interesting the first time rapidly become kind of depressing. Um, you know, when your when your roller coaster is made mostly of people getting killed and murdered, um, generally you don't want to ride it a lot. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is this is just an incredibly bleak film. It uh, is, and I and I love it for it. I mean, yeah. I I I I adore this. Is you know, watching this one first is is an interesting choice uh, because it is definitely even more bleak than the next one. The next yeah. one has some hope to it. This one just doesn't. This one's right. like, hope, go fuck yourself. Like, and 
an interesting thing about this is that it makes it makes changes from the book. Yes. Now the author is said to have read the book or read the screenplay and given his uh, given his well, blessing, but otherwise been uninvolved. Right, but yeah, I mean, you know, in the in the interview with each cow, like they make it pretty clear, like that. Yeah, that's that was it was okay. Like it was yeah. the thing. The book is much more overtly Christian. Yeah, uh, it's my understanding. I've not read the book, of course, uh, but uh, but it is actually it is our main character's sort of re-embracing of his Christian faith that brings him salvation in the end of the the book. He is he is allowed to survive the end of the book, right? Uh, whereas the movie, as a base reading, is ambiguous, perhaps. Whether or not he survives. Oh, he's dead. I'm. Uh, I mean, Ichikawa but, even says he's dead. Like, but, I mean, yes, Ichikawa I mean, Death of the author is fine died. and whatever. But if so, if if the if the maker of the movie tells me the dude is dead, I'm probably gonna buy <laughs> right, it. Right. Um. That feels like that's not a very. That doesn't seem like it's a lot of interpretation available to you. Yeah. Um. I mean, they shoot at him. He falls down. I mean, maybe he's not, but it doesn't right. really seem to matter because. Him dying at the end is divorced from his sort of freedom, right? Like, I mean, he's he frees himself from the nightmare when he decides he's just not going to let this nonsense keep happening, right? Like, I mean, that's his story ended the moment he shot the other guy and threw the gun down. That was the end of yeah. the story. Like, you just need to kill him because you can't just like otherwise he'll, given the nature of the story, he'll just keep wandering fucking forever, right? Like. You know, there, it's a logical endpoint to a story that doesn't conceivably really have an endpoint, right? Because his story will just be him wandering around. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because I what I want to compare this movie to is things that deal with these emotions metaphorically, right? Like I want yeah. to talk about that that uh, what heaven and hell. That we watched a couple months ago. You know, this is the second half of Heaven and Hell as our main character wanders through hell. That's what this movie is. This oh, movie right. is yeah, Heart of Darkness. True. This For movie sure. is, yeah. you know, um, his his descent into hell and things keep getting worse. Uh, yeah. And they never get better. <laughs> they just. Right. I mean, he escapes. Maybe but stops. He doesn't, yeah. <laughs> right. it, you know, he, it doesn't get better. Right. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is that like you know, each uh, each cow get talked about that in the interview, and like you get it really pretty clearly, which is like once you start going, it, this is one of the only times where a slippery slope argument is one hundred percent accurate. Like you right. start this shit, it's never going to end, right? Like it, the the spiral only goes in one direction and it's down, right? Like yeah, you you start this kind of stuff and it it yeah, it only ends when everybody's dead, basically. There's another thing Richie says in his interview. He he talks about the humor in the movie and how the incongruity of the humor is probably what turned off Western audiences. Um, because, I mean, there are moments of, of dark humor, certainly, but then there are moments of almost slapsticky humor, like the Chaplin-esque sequence where he finds a pair of boots uh, in the mud and they are, like, his, <laughs> his the soles are completely a, gone. Yeah, a- ankle and, wraps. Yeah, um, these ones aren't aren't any better than the shoes he's wearing, but he still changes them. 
<laughs> like you know, I I re- honestly I really like all that stuff yeah. a lot. Um, I think he you know Richie might be right. Um, but then again, my guess is still that the thing that turned them off is is a depiction of war as not being right what they want war to be right. Like I, that would be my guess, right? Right. Your head, your your Korean War started what year? Uh, North Korea invaded South Korea in nineteen fifty. Yeah. Uh, and U.S. involvement uh, would have started right around. I mean, then, can't right? can't be that far down, but it's I it's going to be like literally. I mean, I think it was a retaliation of that, right? Wasn't it? So, uh, I well, I mean, either way, we're yeah. we're we're in it, right? I mean, we're right. by this right. point, we're in it, right? Um, so so I mean, what uh, what I'm saying is, it's like. Americans don't want to hear that kind of story. Like this, this right. is not going to play well to an American audience, no matter how you how you write it. Like it, you know, it's just not because that's not the kind of war film they they're really wanting to watch right now uh, at that time. Then you know, I don't think slapstick or no slapstick is going to help, right? Right. Right. Um, what I will say though is that I think I think those beats help in the sense that at any given point in time. You're you're in your trip through hell. You might, for a moment, feel like you're not in hell. Yeah. Or, or at least as an audience, we might not. And and you know, we as an audience, those respites help the the pacing of the movie because the movie could get legitimately unbearable if yeah. you didn't have rights. That and I don't actually feel like around. this movie is unbearable. No, it's not. I I I. It is. It is. Whenever I say the phrase that I'm about to say, it makes me very nervous that I'm at some point going to be put on trial or something, which is <laughs> I legitimately really, really like this movie. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I really love it. And this is, you know, this is the kind of evidence that could be used against me, right? Like, ah, yeah. he also really loved this film. And then they show it. And it's like, well, <laughs> he's clearly a, he's clearly a murderer. Or so, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a deeply depressing film, but it's very, very good. Yeah. Um, and it does things. It, it feels in many ways like a response to our next film, uh, you know, Burmese harp, which is more positive. It, this feels like a, yeah, Almost, almost to a certain extent, feels like we've talked. Who were we talking about it with? Um, who was the director who kept escalating their? Uh, oh, Pasolini. <laughs> yeah, Pasolini. Yeah, yeah. It feels like a Pasolini thing where it's like, well, you get it, you didn't get it the first fucking time, assholes. <laughs> let's so do it again. Let's go more bleak, I guess. Well, it's uh, interesting. You want cannibals? Because, Here's some fucking cannibals. Yeah. That's that's actually interesting because uh, Ishikawa at one point. Uh, has described his two favorite filmmakers as Walt Disney and Pasolini, which is uh, amazing. Which is which is amazing, uh, but yeah, it it is that same way. It's like I've got this message to tell, and I told it one way, and maybe you didn't really get it, and so I'm going to tell it again. Yeah, I'm uh, just going to keep doing this, basically, and it's going to be so it. much worse. Now, of course, he didn't. Unlike Pasolini, he did not he make fires on the plane and then get murdered for making a movie that was too bleak. But yeah, that's true. Uh, but you know, I mean, but you know, he he remakes. Um, yeah. Then you know he remakes uh, Burmese Harp again later, and yeah. that it's not an escalation, but it's clearly a, like I just it's, have to keep right. saying it's a reattempt, right? 
It's a reattempt in a situation where he was once again worried that uh, Japan would fall to those influences, those right. Yeah, and it's a thing. It's a influences. thing that a lot of people from his generation, uh, yeah. unfortunately, who are many of whom are are have departed, worry about worried about a lot, and you see it a lot right. in media. Like it, it comes up a lot because no, it, you know. We see a lot of media that's made by people from that era trying to make it very clear to people of our generation, like, we don't need to do this again. We just never, yeah. ever need to do this again. Yeah. Um, and people don't seem to get it. So. It was very bad. Yeah, it's not, not going to make things better. It's only going to Not make even from worse. a nationalistic state, from a human suffering state. Right. It was just bad. Yeah, it's just, I mean, look at this. And, like, you know, and uh, Ichikawa does an amazing job because it's like, look, I want you to understand that, like, even if you want to be really, really selfish and just look at how it affected Japanese people, it's still super duper fucking bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, even if you're not willing to understand that, like, hurting other people is bad, like, understand that it will hurt you, that it will tear you apart. Right. Um, is is a really fascinating kind of yeah. argument to go and this after, is, right? Really yeah. valuable. I mean, this is a film where where the Japanese uh, army is is bad to each other, right? You know, we've right. got and and the idea is that this sort of be this sort of activity engenders that sort of behavior, right. right? Like you you decide to wage war, you will eventually just tear each other apart. Right. Right. We open. We open. First off, the the joke of the opening sequence where the uh, the commanding officer says, "You idiot," then recaps all of the pertinent information. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, but the uh, the catch twenty two that he sent he sent to the hospital uh, because he's got tuberculosis and he's coughing up blood, and they reject him because he can still stand, and there's already too many too many wounded. He's when he walks in the hospital, he's tripping over bodies, right? right? And then, and then the, the continuation of that, you know, dark, dark yeah. humor is that like it doesn't fucking matter because the the whole hospital right. is going to just right. run away. Yeah, all and of no the staff runs away, saved. and the Americans bomb it. Right, right. It's... No one's going to get saved. You're <laughs> yeah. all fucking doomed. Yeah, yeah. This movie is really, really. I mean, in many ways, right? It's a dark comedy, right? Right. In, in its own really upsetting way, right? It. It's that that sort of bleakness that, right. that is almost funny in, in, yeah. in how dark it is, right? And cannibalism is first uh, introduced to the plot with jokes. We get yeah. the uh, the one soldier sitting under the tree saying, oh, when I die, you can eat my arm. And, yeah. and points at his bicep. You can eat this. And we get the, the three soldiers he then meets who, uh, who joke that they had... That they have already done it. They've done cannibalism in New Guinea. A thing that actually happened and war criminal like like some of the war criminals at the uh at the yeah. uh, the shrine that we talked about in the GMK episode bonus episode, um, where uh where right wing politicians still still send representatives to commemorate the war. Uh some of those war criminals at the Tokyo war crimes, they were convicted of encouraging cannibalism yeah. of yeah. New Guinea uh, New Guineans uh, yeah it's like 
like that joke is hardly a joke because they right, they laugh and say, it's... "Oh, be careful, we might eat you too." But this is a thing that had literally happened, and maybe right. I, and each cow knows that he yeah. absolutely knows that, yeah. and so it's like, yeah, it's this joke is becoming a little less right. Ha ha! Every time we say it, right? You know, kind of feeling. Um, I mean, it's it's possible that the author of the original did not know that for certain. And I suppose it's even possible that Ichikawa did not know it for certain. Well, I mean, but this would be post war. But this is definitely trial, post so. the post the trial. So, so that he had should. to have been news. I yeah. can't I can't believe that like, oh yeah, we we that person was convicted and hung for encouraging people to eat other people would yes. be news. For ordering people to eat other people. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. Um yeah, so and and you know it gets it gets kind of you know it continues to get darker right until we actually right. see it happening. Um, but the interesting thing I find it really fascinating, and I understand that I don't know that this is on purpose per se, but referring to it as monkey meat, right? Yeah, is a. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's just the easy like well primates, right? But um, right, like in dire in in many situations, it is not uncommon for one population of. Uh, primates you know not humans but other populations of primates to kill and eat other populations of primates which gets dangerously close to cannibalism right like i mean uh it's usually across species lines it's not the same species but it does happen in their species uh in for um you know other kinds of primates and so there's just that extra level of like yeah this is what monkeys do yeah it's feeling it's an animalis- animalisticness of the action, but it's also the dehumanizing of your victim, right? Right, and, and somehow it's more, it feels more, like, you know, every so often you'll see a thing that calls it, like, what is it, a long pig or whatever? Yeah. Um, and and that's gross, but, like, calling it monkey meat feels even more, because you're not even really trying to hide it. Not really, yeah. if that makes sense. You're... You you're even doing less to hide it than other euphemisms would. So, yeah. Yeah. And then as a part of that, right, we watch um, what's his name, uh, Nagamatsu, like his physical change over time, is a really fascinating film. Bit of film work, right? Yeah. Nagamatsu, the you know our our our, our resident cannibal, right? Yeah, he starts off when we first encounter him in the film. He's he's scrawny and a little wild eyed, but he's like a piece people still, right? I mean, right. like he carries on conversations. He's but, but he's like, first introduced get... as one of the other hospital rejects too. So like right. he's already right. in dire straits, right? But he he seems like a he feels very person esque, right? Yeah. He's very he's a person, and then by the time uh, you know by the time Tamura kills him in the last scene. He is a wild-eyed monster in that last right. scene. Like, he is terrifying to behold. It, that, that visage will stay with me for a long time. Oh, absolutely. The thing that Tamura shoots is scary as shit. Yeah. Now, the actor who plays Nagamatsu uh, explains that that's the only point in the movie where he's actually acting. Because right. everything else was meant to be naturalistic. Uh, and he also talks about in that interview uh, that... Uh, at that point, you know, he was like a, a, a rising rock star. And at that point that they were filming, 
uh, they were doing, he was doing two other movies, uh, three weekly television shows, and then 12, 12 radio shows, weekly radio shows. It's amazing. And he said, he said for like three years, he got three hours of sleep a night. So, so like, Welcome it, it to seems Japanese to me like the wild eyed, the wild eyed yeah. thing at the end is maybe him not acting. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, he just, he looks, yeah, but it works yeah. though. Man, does it work? Like. Because you, we as an audience feel re- like revulsion to this person, yeah. right? Like we as an audience also want him to just go away, right? Uh, and 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 that's the interesting thing about this movie relative to the next one is that like, you know, Tamara is not a good person. Like Tamara, it, he he hesitates to use violence in the way that the others right. do, but like he, we're not. But he still does use violence. He kills. He, does, he kills the Filipino woman, and steals. They're salt. The right, exactly. Salt. He he's he's not necessarily better than them. And yeah. that's not what the movie's about. And that's right. what makes it interesting is that like this isn't a redemption story or anything like that. And I and I like that about it because not telling telling your audience that like ah, you know, you can still be redeemed even right. in these terrible straits is a kind of is a really kind of uncomfortable and disingenuous argument to make to a certain extent, right? It's like no, you're in this now. Right. This is hell. You're here. It's not going to get better, and you're not going to become the savior of Hellland. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's <laughs> right. And and then Tamura does find the exit strategy, which is get shot. Yeah. Basically. Uh, but he does, he escapes, but he doesn't become a better person. Right. And that's you know even in Nagamatsu's death. We see him smile as if this is a sweet release. Yeah, like, absolutely. From what's you, going you know, on. Yeah, and it works very well because it's just like even, yeah. Everybody. Yeah. But Tamara, Tamara doesn't hit rock bottom, but not for lack of trying. Like he would have, He's he's got an implication of what monkey meat is. And yeah. he would have eaten it. He has it in his mouth, but he can't chew yeah. it. Well, and then that's a real it's a really super interesting choice, right? Because yeah. like it's he's not he yeah, he doesn't make an active decision to not. And it it lets him still be a a bad guy. Yeah. Uh without having done that. And I and Ichikawa's justification for that was just sort of interesting to listen to, right? Like it's like the only way to make a story with a main character where cannibalism is a feature where like it's even remotely like basically viewable to the audience, right? Because if yeah. if if Tamura had gone all in on cannibalism, it would have been really like I don't know what that movie is. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like that's a that's a different sort of upsetting, right? Um, and yeah, but even cannibalism. Go ahead. Even this amount of cannibalism, there's probably no point later than 1959 that he could have gotten this movie made. Right. Yeah. And I, well, think, and, and I think Donald Ritchie says that in his interview. Or no. But but yeah, it's just well, and thank God it got made, right? Like yeah. I mean, you know, it it's really it's it's fascinating how that that you know cannibalism plays a part in it, and 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 you know what leads. I mean, we don't know what's inside of Tamura that really makes him decide to kill Nagamatsu. Yeah, uh, is it is it fear? Is it like revulsion? Like it's hard to know, right? Um, we're it not is, given that answer. Yeah, there could be some amount of pity in that 
Right, know? exactly. It, there's a lot there, right? And and that ambi- that sort of emotional ambiguity is really nice right. in this movie cuz we not knowing is good here. Like we Right. We do know that Naga, that Tamura makes a decision. Like he actively chooses to kill Naga And there's Naga, a lot so of ways you could why. There's a lot of ways he could be justified, right? That yeah. that we don't settle on any. It could be self-preservation. He's seen him commit one murder and he believes himself to be next. It could be uh, justice in that he has he knows that this man has been killing and eating other people, not just even eating corpses he finds, but actively murdering to right, yeah, he is other hunting people. people at this point. Yeah. yeah. And that that is is something that needs to be put in and have an end put to uh, as far as he's concerned. Uh, it, you know, it there's there's the pity aspect that this man needs to be put out of his misery, uh, not just to save himself or other people, but because this needs to end just well, this right. narrative yeah, I mean- needs to end. Right. I mean, yeah, from a from a filmmaking standpoint, but also from the idea that, like, this person's never going to be able to rejoin right. human society. Right. This person's out of society now. Yeah. This person is not no longer viable human, right? Because yeah. this person now, you know, is this now from from a personal belief standpoint that no one is beyond redemption. I'm not entirely happy about that. But but, you know, I mean, it that is a com- it is a relatively common argument. Yeah, that like that there are the, certain taboo lines that when they're crossed, right. and the argument being made here isn't necessarily that no one's beyond redemption, but that you shouldn't get involved with war because war will make you beyond redemption. Right, exactly. No, and that, I'm okay and that, with and that's that one. <laughs> the point, right? Like that yeah. in the end, yeah, it is a it is a very well constructed argument for a downward spiral that you will you you'll do this thing, and it only goes in one direction. And we and we as people in our real lives, you and I, see the evidence of that all around us, right? Like that that spiral doesn't have a bottom. Yeah. Uh it it it, it only continues to sort of suck new things in, right? Yeah, maybe the conflict here ends, but like the sort of knock on effects are still a downward spiral, right? And and you know, Chicago is making that argument and he makes it very cogently in this film it this is what you'll become this is what this road only goes and goes to one place and it's this yeah and you know it, there's people out you can make arguments that like you know we we do it as a as societies all the time that that's not true that like excuse me that like things like this don't happen in every engagement and whatever but i would argue that probably they do yeah um, and we just don't find out about it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, this is what you become, right? You become yeah. whatever, some sort of wild animal, basically. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting, you know, we leave the title, obviously, Fires on the Plane, and I don't know that you could change the title, the English, the English title, and still get away with calling it an adaptation. Uh, but uh, but in removing the Christian religious aspects of this, it also undermines one of the principal metaphors, but it still keeps the principal metaphor. The idea of these fires on the plane, they are, uh, they are columns of smoke that Tamora is following to, in the book, what is his ultimate salvation, right? And in that, they are reminiscent of 
the Israelites in Sinai, following a column, a column of smoke during the day and a column of fire at night that is representative of God leading them to freedom. Uh, in eliminating the religious context of that and the religious metaphor of having him be uh, having the Christian morality pulled out of this. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, but I think it, it eliminates that metaphor in a way. So so the smoke now just becomes... We don't know what the smoke is ever. Well, right? yeah, I mean, I For get certain. what you're saying. Yeah. And yeah, from, you know, if you want this to be metaphorical, yeah, that yeah. that that is true. But, you know, then if you take the religion out of things, you get another interesting metaphorical result, which of is... Course. You're just following random ass smoke, dude. Right, right, and that's like true this too. isn't an answer. It's just fucking smoke. Well, just I'm following not... it around for some fucking reason. Of course, I I don't. The book could very well say that same thing, right? That right, that maybe he I... ends up believing these are signs from God, but they are just random, random right. smoke. Right, and, and well, and then then that gets complicated, right? Because yeah. in a fiction story, that 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 yeah. that line is even blurrier <laughs> right. in a in a fiction context, right? It's like, well, what is it's only smoke, or it's, yeah. it is the hand of God when literally a person crafted this story, right? Um. But, you know, you know, there's that part of it. But, you know, by taking I get, you know, each cow, especially in this situation, right? Like having there be the potential for redemption does undermine the point that each cow is trying to make, which is yeah. like, yeah, may, you know, and I get where that comes from, and I understand why people want – there needs to be stories like that, but that's not the story Ichikawa was trying to tell here, right? Like, in, in Ichikawa's universe that he's created, there is no redemption at the end for you. You've, you've gone down this road, and it ends in one place, and you're there now. And even if you did get out, right, like, to a certain extent, right, like, you know – even if you, even if Tamura got out, and it's too hard to craft this into a story, and that's why they didn't do it, yeah, pr- presumably. But even if he gets out, will he still be the person that went in there? How broken will he be? Right. You know what I mean? Like what he's experienced was hell. So even if he gets out, will he? What kind of life will a person who's been through hell have when it's all said and done? And it's probably not a good one. Right. If there is a coming back, it is a long, long path, and arduous right. path yeah. to come back. And, and I don't, I don't personally either believe in irredeemable people, honestly. Yeah. Like, but like, I think it is. If you're trying to tell people not to do war anymore, yeah. those kind of stories are really, really valuable. Like, it, it, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost for the good of society having stories about people yeah. who are beyond hope. As a result of bad of, of bad human being decisions, are kind of useful as morality tales, right? Like you could, it, it works in in opposite of the way sort of religion works. But you know, if you're trying to teach people not to do these things, there's a there sometimes is a value uh. to be like, look, you can screw the pooch completely on this one, okay? Like you can make it so that we're all beyond hope if you if you make the wrong choices here. Um, is it's an interesting sort of thing to go around telling people. Alexander Jacobi, who is a uh, Japanese cinema uh, 
lecturer of film studies uh, and Japanese cinema uh, scholar uh, at uh, Oxford Brooks University in the UK. Uh, the Wikipedia quotes uh, quotes from him. Uh, he says uh, he compares uh, the movies to how America Vietnam movies, uh, America handled Vietnam in films. Uh, Hollywood has largely failed to deal with political U.S. involvements in Vietnam, preferring to focus on the individual sufferings of American soldiers. And he says so. Ichikawa's war films make only a token acknowledgement of wartime atrocities committed by the Japanese and largely buy into assumptions of Japanese victimhood in World War II, assumptions which to this day remain too widespread in the country. Well, I, I agree with that last clause, certainly. I don't know if I agree that this film is about Japanese victimhood. No, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that, generally speaking. I, yeah. I, I, I don't. I agree with the last part, obviously, but <laughs> yes. the, the, I don't. I don't feel like this. I don't think avoiding the topic of atrocities makes you in your film makes you complicit in atrocities. If you know what I mean, like yeah. uh, One, I I don't. Without, I don't think this film is divorced from the historical context of the setting of the film. Right, I don't. I don't know that you can you can understand this movie at all without knowing a bit about history. And, and what's going on in the Philippines. Right. Um, and sure, maybe the movie doesn't mention Bataan Death March. Uh, well, but... But I, right, but I would argue that at least at one point, their march that they go on with people just dropping has to in some way be connected to that, right? Like, it, 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 it there's this sort of like walking until you die sort of yeah, which is... theme, right? reminiscent but it is that is japanese soldiers walking until they fall not not no, forcing I I, not I, forcing filipinos yeah, no, and americans to... it's the same thing <laughs> so, i'm saying yeah. that like um i i was thinking more on a karmic level I, sort of i thing. guess yeah yeah like and, i mean you you are dealing with a society that literally has a concept of karma and like right like Right, you know what I mean, right? And like, I think I don't think the understanding of that scene does need to to balance against a a remembrance of Baton. Yes. Uh, also, if if this movie is about Japanese soldiers being victims of the war, uh, it is not about the Japanese people being victims of the war. But even if it is, in either case, who is the perpetrator? It is not the Americans. It is not the Philippines. It is the Japanese who are the right. perpetrators. Right, and that's an important point. That's yeah. a super important point because it is the like, army. The argument it is that war makes hierarchy. you a victim of your of your own society is a is again a valuable argument yeah. to make about why war is a bad thing to do. Right. Um. And and you know I, I and to a certain extent I think. Ichikawa choosing to focus on Japanese people creates a more authentic thing. Like, I mean, if you start to talk about these films, if you're if you're having, you know, we talked about it a little bit before, but if you want to have an effect on your society, 
like it or not, you're probably going to have to talk about people from your society. Um, now, I mean, you could make there are there have been films that talk about atrocities and stuff, and and and, but that, you know, that's a that's an even harder thing to do, right? Like that's even more challenging to like show atrocity your your own people committing atrocities and have everybody who watches it understand that that's a bad thing. Um, is a really hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, whereas this film gets to the point very easily, which is like, look what we look what we did to ourselves. Right. Look at the look at the nightmare we made for ourselves, and it's all Japanese people attacking other Japanese people. It's all, it's all internal, right? In this movie, with a couple of exceptions. There are and some that, exceptions, and those exceptions are when Filipino natives. Uh, Exact revenge for what Japan had had done. Right. Whether and, that and I think we whether that be the final mentioned... sequence or the woman who guns down the man trying to surrender. Absolutely. And and we before the Americans take her like, guns as an audience, right? Yeah. Like, there's no way that your audience. I mean, unfortunately, given the nature of the way history and revisionism works and stuff. Yeah. It's possible, but considering the way it's couched in this film, you know, yeah. what I mean, the, if you consider the whole context of the film around it. Right. Like we know, right? Like we understand why she's doing that thing. And we're not meant to understand her as like victimizing Japanese people in this right. in that context, right? Like she is the she is she is a victim who is you know, again, seeking justice in And probably even more than that. Like I mean, it's seeking justice maybe, but it also is to a certain extent looks like a gut reaction, right? Like well. There are the people who hurt us. Yeah. And it's coming right towards me. Yeah. I need to make sure the hurting, you know, the thing that hurts us doesn't keep coming, right? And to have uh, to have a is... to have a woman do it, particularly yeah. in a meta understanding of what Japanese yeah. war atrocities were. Absolutely. It's is... I think it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think probably that's about as close to that topic as Ichikawa could get, probably. Right. That topic has always been really, really dangerous territory for Japanese media makers. Yeah. Uh, like that job, that that topic will get you never another job for the rest of your life. It just straight up will. Um, and so, you know, I think that's definitely right. on purpose. That, there, was a, there was a choice made right there. Even the films we've seen that deal directly with it, like that uh, Suzuki film. Pulls Still its, like pulls its punches, pulls it punches, and really, yeah. and like you know, I'm glad that it exists, but it's still so right, wishy washy about it, right? Right, um, right. You know, and and I think this is probably as close as you could get to the sun, honestly. Yeah. So, and especially for films that don't focus on people who aren't Japanese, right? Like, I mean, right. This film is not about the other people; it's about the Japanese people destroying themselves. So on the one hand, I don't necessarily like a movie, particularly one that's trying to say something big and important, requiring outside knowledge. Uh, on the other hand, you obviously have to understand the context of both when this movie is being released and the uh, the time period and setting that is portraying uh, to to understand some of what's going on here. Yeah, I mean that's true, and and of course the problem is right. Like no matter how good your movie is, you could eventually new speak its meaning all out of existence, right? right? Like you can, right. you you as a, like you being like a, an entire government 
or whatever, or an entire power structure could choose to make this film not make sense anymore. Right. Right. You could return. You could remove all the contextual knowledge from society, essentially. Yeah. That makes I suppose make sense. there is there is then a reading of this film wholly divorced from historical knowledge, where the Japanese, where Japanese army the is yeah. is the victim of random violence from. Well, and and I didn't watch this one with my kids, thank yeah. God. But I did watch the next one, and we'll talk about what happens when you show one a movie like this in this vein to a person who has not yet been taught any of the contextual knowledge. Yeah. And like the fact that like the only way to make it work is to start giving them that contextual yeah. knowledge to help them understand but, that stuff. But then even zero context, you have to start making assumptions of why the Japanese are in the Philippines to begin right. with. Right. No, absolutely. Right? Well, you know, so, nine years old, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. Also, not, like, nothing about your kids. Uh, just right. all about the understanding of this film a priori. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you. I mean, but you know, but the problem is, the more context you make, you take, you remove, the harder, like, the less that makes, you know. Okay, so you remove like the context of understanding just the the atrocities, right? And so now you're still left with why are the Japanese and Philippines? Keep in mind that, like, as we talked about in a previous episode, some very very important thinkers were you know were on board justifying to a certain extent the idea that the Japanese had a right to expansion exert influence yeah. over Asia the way yeah. that America had a right to exert influence over uh South America right like i mean i like Both of I, those were this wrong, is always a really difficult but, topic but like yeah. keep in mind that like this this World War II did not happen in a vacuum right. where the Japanese just one day decided to go take over Asia. Right. You know what I mean? Like, their expansion was couched in the same – actually, this is a topic that comes up at work, but, like, okay. Was was very much couched in the same language that, that Western scholars used to justify their own colonial expansion. They used similar language, similar uh, thought patterns, to the point where legitimately um, – Japanese representatives were sent to the United States to help craft the language that would m justify Japanese expansion, like in the United States. It was a joint effort to justify that expansion yeah. with the idea that the Jap Japanese people were the civilized Asian people who needed to exert that influence over their yeah. uncivilized neighbors. This is not you know, a now justification for that, but like... The reason I bring that up is just because, um, you know, if we, it's, it's just important to understand like how these things come about to a certain extent, right? Like, we, you know, it, it, yeah, it's just it's a thing to keep in mind. I've kind of lost the thread of where we we're going for this. Cause it's such an upsetting <laughs> thing for me. Like, yeah. It's a topic that upsets me so much. Sometimes I lose the thread, but yeah, yeah. I get you. Um. <laughs> It's it's bleak, um, and it's it's in your face, confrontationally bleak. Uh, yeah. I think you know we'll talk next week about the Burmese harp, and it takes sort of a more sentimental approach, but it's still incredibly bleak. Oh, it's um, incredibly bleak. It just posits that like 
the universe has hope in it. Yes. That, Whereas, like, that, that good exists. Yeah. Whereas there this are, movie doesn't, really. There are active choices here where where he has removed the idea that <laughs> Right, yeah. Like the, it's even based on material that had hope presumably in it. Yeah. He's like, no, fuck that noise. <laughs> right. Right. Not happening. Um no, and and you know, I'm and again, this I sound like a big weirdo all the time. Like I'm ex- excited isn't the right word, but I think it'll be a really good thing when my son is old enough to show him this movie. Yeah, we watched Burmese Heart together, and it was a it was a valuable experience. Um, but like this one, for me personally, is more valuable because of its just intense bleakness. Yeah, like. You know, I need to I need to impart upon my offspring the idea that that we make the hell that we live in. Right. Right. Every damn day. <laughs> it's a very important lesson for me to teach. I think ultimately the ending of this film and and the experience uh when he tries to surrender and and sees the other Japanese soldier uh gunned down. Um that is, it's important that it's not, there is a randomness in the violence when the hospital gets blown up. It is right. off-screen Americans, artillery shelling a mountain where they know Japanese soldiers are, not necessarily actively trying to blow up a hospital, but yeah, maybe they are. That it necessarily, yeah, maybe, but, you know, I but, mean, we don't know, right? Yeah. But in any case, what those those other two instances where our main character dies and where he sees someone else shot and gunned down, are a moment where a perpetrator of atrocities, of oppression, is seeking absolution and forgiveness from the people he has oppressed without actually having done anything to absolve it. He's just showing up and saying, hey, forgive me and uh, nurse me back to health. Please. Right. Well, and that's the interesting thing, right? Is it's not even absolution or forgiveness, right? It's um, because those words do imply some sort of atonement, right? Some right. sort of action to to get that, right? It's almost like they don't. It's 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 the problem that presumably to a certain extent Ichikawa is already addressing. That becomes more and more of a problem. It's it's not atonement or um, forgiveness. It's move on, whatever the right. fuck that is, right? Like yeah. I don't know what the the phrase. I, I don't know how to turn it into an actual proper adjective but right like but there's no the idea that like oh you just need it like right well that part's done let's just move on there's no moving on without atonement is the thing uh, right but that's really, what but that's can't. what they want but that's right? what they like, want you, and that's right, what when, that's what the uh the pro-war forces in japan want they that's want what to, they want yeah they want to like well let's just move on it's like yeah. well, you haven't shown that that's yeah that you are you have not moved on really right Right. like um and that's you know and and we talk about the history of racism in the u.s it's the same thing it's it's exactly telling victims it's wanting victims to let go of yeah yeah you're never telling yourself to move on you're telling within their own lifetime while so that you can maintain your view of yourself as good yeah uh and tamora is not good. No, right? he's he not. Has, and he's he not has meant given to be good. into the worst uh, 
the worst things he could give into in this yeah, I situation. Mean, the best yeah. you could ever even hope to say about him is that he's less bad, and it, that's yeah. not a meaningful comparison. Yeah. He has stopped and the movie fighting. Doesn't want you to, and yeah. it's good that he has stopped fighting. But ending being actively involved with the oppression is not the same as restoring. And sure, he right. is not in a position to restore at all. Right. And and in that in that manner, maybe this metaphor begins to fall apart. But the pro war forces within Japan have never made a means to restore. Have actively right. stopped the nation from making a means to restore. Right, and we—I mean, we saw. I mean, literally, there was a news article like today or yesterday about like trying to get the South Korean minister to stop asking for apologies. It's like, yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Um, this is this is crazy horseshit garbage. But like, the other thing is though is that like as we go, I, I understand that the metaphor does break down, but at the same time, I don't think it's the metaphor that Ichikawa is going for doesn't break down because he's trying to say. To a certain extent, there's a line you can cross where you you can no longer be part of the solution. Right. Uh, and it's and that's not, true. We, you and I may not agree with that, but, like, Tamura can't be part of the solution because he was part of the problem so intensely. Right. That, like, the other things have to happen before he can be part of the solution. Right. Like, and it's also... We do see there's is... a potential there when the Japanese army itself surrenders and all this other stuff, right? Like, there's yeah. a potential there, but it's not right now. Well, well, retributive murder uh, should hopefully be off the table. Uh, it is still the uh, the victim's prerogative to decide what restorative justice looks like. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, it's not. He doesn't just get to say, "Hey, I'm done," and I gave it up. And and no one does get to say, "I'm done," and give it up. And they certainly don't get to say, "Oh." Well, I never did that to begin with. That's not at right. all. That's not. Yeah, well, that's which not is how the, you the current forward. the current functioning argument. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, that's. Oh, you just made that up. Yeah. Like, I, there's a whole other thing. I uh, we'll we'll talk about this someday. But like, yeah, it, 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 it. And that's the interesting thing, is most of the movie is no one asking for that, right? right. Like, most of the movie, no one's actively trying to get air quotes redemption. Uh, the closest we get is the person trying to surrender, who is trying to just get that sort of "let's move on." You you have to you have to save me, kind of thing, yeah. right? Like, you're the good, or you're 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 these people. You have to save me. Is a is, yeah, is it's you know, and, and that's more you know, and that also just part of making the story function, right? Because theoretically, actually, probably he could have surrendered right then and there, because the person who was with, uh. The, the the shooter has already actively stopped her. Right. So presumably this is the safest moment on earth, right? Right. Like actually, he's gonna get, yeah, right? He could he if could he actually runs out right now. Yeah. Like especially if he goes slow, chances are the person who already stopped the the extra murder, right? Like right. Already, the dude's already dead, so you stopped him from shooting it or her from shooting anymore. Presumably he'll just stop her from shooting you at all. Yeah. Uh so Honestly speaking, he should have just gone for it, right? But probably you know, that's not yes. the story. Right? That's also true. <laughs> he could have ended things right. It there. wouldn't have gotten worse. You're like, like, right. well, that's an interesting thing, right? Because at that point, Tamura still believes he has some hope. Right. He still doesn't understand how horrible the hell he is in is going to get. He believes that he could probably find a better way out. Yeah. 
he does not believe that by the time we get to the end. Well, I think I think why he approaches them at the end is that he still believes that. He believes that he can approach these people he thinks are just farmers born, burning corn husks and integrate into their society and they'll give him food and not Maybe, be afraid of I, him. I I saw that in some of the readings of the movie yeah. and and even and I and I'm still not 100% convinced of that. I feel like that's going to have to go down as part of, you know, like Yeah. my interpretation like I think he just doesn't care anymore. Yeah, I think like, that's fair. I'm just gonna walk at this thing, and maybe right. it will kill me. Maybe he doesn't. It won't. He doesn't stop when they start shooting. Right. Yeah. He just keeps walking. He's like, well, yeah. I mean, that's that's telling, right? Like, right. Ah, uh, fuck it. Just gonna... now. Now I will say, whatever Ichikawa wants to say, I think an ambiguous reading of that movie is supported of that ending. Uh, in that, for every gunshot we see a puff of smoke hit the dirt. That's also true. Yeah. And he collapses without an extra gunshot that we don't see a reaction from. So he has not necessarily been shot unless the bullet passed through him uh, 20 seconds before he stopped walking. Yeah, but, I kind of just chalked that up to like yeah. weird filmmaking choices. Like, I well, I need, to, I need Can, to let people know that these bullets are flying. Considering but, that... Yeah. Uh, Considering we have had physical reactions to every other gunshot we've seen, uh, right? I don't true. know that uh, that that's necessary. Yeah, that's true. I mean, maybe he's not dead, but then yeah. that, that that's also interesting, right? Because we talked already. Like, let's suppose he survives. Yeah. Like, what the what hell is his there? life like after? And this? that's and that's you know certainly one of the reasons psychologically that he does not approach the Americans after they take that gun away from the Filipino woman is that he understands that there will not always be. A well-meaning American around, right? Before he gets back to Japan, yeah, you know, and he doesn't want to face that retribution. Yeah, he's not ready to face the retribution. Right. He does, he does not he has not reached that point, right. right? And again, you know, it's not even necessarily retribution. He does not want to face whatever justice might hold for him in the fear that it will be retribution. But still, he doesn't. He he knows what he deserves. Right. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And that you know, that's my reading of the movie. <laughs> no, and I and I'm you know, you and I are generally yeah. on the same page about it, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, this is this is a very you know, we've seen other movies like this. This is a very specific kind of film that is a tour through hell, basically. Right. Right. But uh, but unlike Heaven and Hell, this is a movie where. Where uh, the character we see touring through hell maybe actually deserves. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, for sure. That I mean, that's the important thing. It's yeah. yeah, this person clearly does. I mean, if nothing else, on a sort of just social level, right? Like he's a participant in making hell. So well, the people who make hell get to go through hell, right? What was the act? We keep calling it heaven and hell, but I don't think that was the actual name. I of the don't movie. remember what it was called. I, I think it was just was it just called like hell? Maybe. Or Gates of Hell or something like that. I don't I don't remember. even remember I mean, how long ago it was, so Adam, we've seen a lot of movies. It's true. I don't know if you're aware of this. <laughs> you, you may have not noticed. Well, I don't know what spy number we're on, but it's a lot. It is a lot. At this point most of my memories of this podcast are just vague impressions of things that happened in the past and I say that thing and I hope you know what it's called. <laughs> That's most of this this podcast is you know, the guy who makes movies and, like, it just, he keeps up in the ante because, like, no one will fucking listen. Yeah. And you're like, Pasolini? I'm like, yep. I got that one for uh, you. 
Yeah, I'm really well. That's what I'm saying. That's but that's the podcast now. Um, yeah, Jigoku was the yeah, Japanese so, name. So of hell, film. and it's <laughs> so just hell. yeah, just it is just hell. hell. I, I remember now it was it was originally meant to be called Heaven and Hell, but uh, and then they got, never the got directors to are like, no, we're going to do the hell part, and then we'll do the heaven one in the sequel, and then never made the sequel. They made the sequel, which yeah. is beautiful, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Um, Jigoku is the film we've been calling Heaven and Hell all through this episode, but yes. <laughs> which is funny because High and Low is actually called right. Heaven and right. Hell in Japanese, Indeed. which gets even more confusing. Yeah. Indeed. Uh yeah, this is <laughs> this is a very bleak movie, and next week we will <laughs> watch another very movie, bleak honestly. movie. But as I already mentioned, at least it has sentimentality to balance it out instead of just deep black humor over and yeah. over again. Yeah, it's, it's just the, the only... just the deepest darkness of our souls laid <laughs> yeah. bare. Yeah, uh, but yes, this has been Fires on the Plane from 1959, directed by Konichikawa. Uh, next week we will see another film from the same director. Uh, the Burmese Harp from 1956. Uh, just a couple years earlier, a film definitely on the same themes, uh, but a very different movie uh, and a much better accepted movie, uh, yeah, both I mean, in, within Japan people. and internationally, uh, because it is not just darkness, just darkness, not... darkness, <laughs> yeah. all darkness all the time. Well, to be fair, it's not darkness, 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 joke, darkness, darkness, <laughs> darkness, joke, darkness, 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 even bleaker joke. <laughs> Wait, when did these jokes stop being jokes? They uh, are all very bleak jokes. It's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, by the definition of the word joke that this movie is making, calling it monkey meat is, it qualifies as a joke within this film. Oh, so. Yeah, no. Well, and it's it's actually one of its better jokes in, <laughs> yes. in, in, in that, you know, from that viewpoint. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it.